Thank you for joining us here on the Frank Sontag Show. And each hour we begin with our impact segment, which is 20 plus minutes of uninterrupted dialogue and discussion. And if you are tuning into this impact segment, you are going to be blessed as I have, well, a man of God on the phone who is a senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Dallas. We hear him on his daily national radio program, Pathway to Victory. He's also authored a number of books, including a brand new one entitled Choosing the Extraordinary Life, God's Seven Secrets for Success and Significance. Pastor Robert Jeffress, it's always a blessing to welcome you back to the program. How are you, Robert? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Frank. You're so welcome. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day to be on the program and talk about your new book. Why choosing the extraordinary life? It's a very interesting word. Well, it is, because really our life is the sum of the choices that we make. And, you know, the word extraordinary is an appealing word. I think every Christian listening, every non-Christian would love to have an extraordinary life, but few people are really experiencing it. You know, I think of the Chicago sewer worker who was one time asked why he did what he did, and he said, well, I dig the ditch to earn the money, to buy the bread, to get the strength to dig the ditch. Wow. And, you know, Frank, that's how most people are living their lives. Even Christians, they get up, go to work, come home, eat supper, watch a little TV, go to bed, and then repeat the cycle over and over again. And God wants more for our lives than that. And I've subtitled uh, the, the, the book, uh, God's Seven Secrets for Success and Significance. And I use the story of Elijah as an illustration of an ordinary person, God said he had doubts and bouts with disobedience and depression. He was an ordinary person, but God used him in an extraordinary way. And he illustrates these seven secrets that I'm talking about for success and significance. I'd like you to maybe share some of them in a moment, but I I want you to share a bit more, not only about Elijah, but you made mention, I think a lot of us don't have extraordinary lives. And is part of that problem, we don't read Scripture because it seems like the Scripture is filled with God using a lot of ordinary people for extraordinary things. Well, that's right, and I think that ought to be an encouragement to us. You don't have to be a spiritual superman or superwoman to be used by God, and uh, and that certainly is illustrated with Elijah. And I think, of course, the underlying key to an extraordinary life is to find your life purpose, to connect your life purpose with God's life, God's purpose for the world. And, you know, I mean, we all know every Christian, I mean, we have a general purpose to glorify God, but God has a specific purpose to glorify Him by. And uh, I say in the first chapter, you know, discovering your unique purpose, that God has a story he's telling to the world, but he has a unique story he's telling in your life to tell his story. And I use that word story as an acrostic, S-T-O-R-Y, to help people find their unique purpose for living. And let me just say, uh, uh, wherever your passion plus your gifts intersect with God's purpose, that is his unique purpose for your life. Was this an easy book for you to write, Robert? You know, it really was, because uh, 
as a pastor, I've just seen so many people who don't live extraordinary lives, but so many who do. And it's been very easy, especially in looking at scriptures at the life of Elijah, to find these principles. And, you know, last year, my book, A Place Called Heaven, uh, became an instant bestseller, not because of me, but because its people are intrigued by what God has planned for them on the other side of death. But the good news, Frank, is you don't have to wait until you die to experience an extraordinary life. It can begin right now when you discover the intersection of your purpose with God's purpose. The unmistakable voice of Pastor Robert Jeffress. You are listening to him, and he's talking about his new book, Choosing the Extraordinary Life. So let's talk. We obviously don't need to go through all seven. We want people to not only pick up the book, but embrace a lot of the teachings you have in it. But can you share some of the secrets of success and significance? Well, let me just talk real briefly about discovering your purpose. I said I use that word story as an acrostic for how to discover your unique purpose in life. You know, the S says start with Scripture. I mean, you're not going to find your vocation in the Bible unless you're into shepherding or tax collecting, but there are general principles in Scripture that help you discern God's voice. The T stands for talk to others. Many times, God will use other people to reveal His purpose to you. I remember my ninth grade speech teacher, Miss Fry. I mean, she was a tough old bat, but I mean, she she told me one day, she said, Jeffress, you're going to be a preacher one day, and that scares the bejeepers out of me, because you could sell anybody anything. Wow. And you know, that's the first person who ever envisioned for me that I was going to be a preacher. Uh, the O in stories stands for obey your passions. One way to know what God wants you to do is what do you want to do? What passion do you have? Is it in communications? Is it in medicine? Is it in accounting? God puts his desires into our desires. Uh, The R stands for recognize your gifts and abilities. What is it you're good at? What is it that when you do it, people say you were born to do this? You know, if God's called you to something, he will give you the gifts to do it. Philippians 2.13. And then the Y stands for yield to God's leadership. There has to come that moment when we have the plan and the purpose revealed to us, but then we have to say, yes, Lord. So I hope that's, hope that's helpful to listeners, S-T-O-R-Y, and that's uh, the essence of the first chapter of Choosing the Extraordinary Life. Mm. Robert, when we become followers of Jesus, we are called to deny ourselves, and yet, obviously, God has a perfect plan for our lives. Can you maybe walk us through maybe the one listener right now that's struggling with, okay, I'm a follower of Jesus. He wants me to have a successful life, but what about me and what about him? Am I not to live for him? Am I to live for me? Yeah, yeah. It's a great question, and in fact, it's one of the secrets Elijah illustrates for an extraordinary life. That secret is we have to burn the ships. You know, remember the story of Cortez when he landed in Veracruz in 1522 Mexico to take the city for God, and or the country for God and for the nation of Spain. And yet, uh, Cortez knew that between him and the capital of Mexico were 200 snake-infected, cactus-filled miles. And he knew along the way his men would be tempted to retreat. And so he ordered the men to burn the ships, meaning retreat was absolutely impossible. 
And I think we have to have that burn-the-ships moment in our own relationship with God if we're truly going to have an extraordinary life. I mean, Elijah had that moment. Remember when he was on Mount Carmel, and he told the Israelites, he said, okay, it's time for you to make up your mind. If Baal is God, serve him with all of your heart. If Jehovah is God, serve him with all of your heart. But quit trying to hesitate between two opinions. And I think we have to come to that moment in our life. If our work, if pleasure, if money is really our God, we shouldn't serve those things with a half heart. We ought to serve those things with a full heart. But if God is really who he says he is, then we ought to serve him with a fully devoted heart. Maybe said a slightly different way, would this be correct in if I say we need to live our lives as if we truly know Scripture is absolutely true? That's right. And I, and I think most Christians don't live that way. We're like uh, uh, that uh, uh, person that uh, uh, James talked about. The double-minded person is unstable in all of his ways. In a way, the double-minded Christian is the most miserable of all people in the world. Right. He can't fully give himself to the world and fully enjoy all of its pleasures without guilt, but he's not experiencing the benefit of being fully devoted to God. So what's why do we hold ourselves back? Is it an attraction to sin? Is it just the 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 embracement and the identity in self? What's that about? Yeah, I think it. I mean, I think uh, it's the lack of faith. You know, Hebrews eleven six says, "Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently serve Him." And I think, you know, it's been ever since the serpent whispered into Eve's ear. You know, if if you sit, do what God tells you to do, you're going to have a life of misery. God is a cosmic killjoy. He wants to rob you of joy when the opposite is actually true. Robert Jeffress is my guest. His new book, Choosing the Extraordinary Life, God's Seven Secrets for Success and Significance. Robert, share about those of us that we say, well, we're praying to God and we're kind of waiting for Him to reveal what our plan is, and yet that's part of a process that we need to maybe strengthen our faith in Him. Right. And that's one of the secrets I talk about, is wait on God's timing. You know, so often we want to move from one big thing to the next big thing, uh, one success to another success, or one failure to another quick success. And many times God tells us, no, you wait for a moment, or a year, or five years. You know, I think about Elijah. You know, he appears on the scene in First Kings 17, has his dramatic entrance to Ahab, and then after that, God tells him to go hide. And for the next three and a half years, he's in obscurity, alone at the, at the brook Kareth, and then alone for several years with the widow of Zarephath. And I'm sure that Elijah had his moments when he wondered, was God through with him? Mm. Had his best years, were they behind him? And yet God taught him some invaluable lessons during that waiting time. And I say in my book, waiting time doesn't have to be wasted time mm. if we listen and learn the, God, the lessons God wants us to teach us in those inevitable waiting times of life. Robert, I would suspect in each and every book that you've written, and there are many, you always address the power of prayer, and I know this book is one that you talk a great deal about the importance of power of prayer. 
Yes, <clears throat> and that was certainly one of Elijah's secrets to his remarkable, extraordinary life. Remember in James 5, James says, the effective prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. And then in the next verse, James uses Elijah as example a of that effective righteous person and uh you look at elijah's life it was undergirded with prayer and uh, he prayed for it to rain and it rained he prayed for it not to rain it didn't rain he prayed for the fire to come down and it came down he prayed for the widow's son to be raised from the dead and he was and uh, i say in the book if you want to see god do big things in your life pray for God to do big things in your life. And, uh, you know, I had a recent illustration of that. My daughter and son-in-law went through three miscarriages, mm. and so they decided to pray for something big. They prayed uh, for triplets, <laughs> oh, wow. uh, one life to replace each life that was lost. And last December, God gave my daughter triplet. Oh my I mean, we didn't have that in our family, but it was a big answer to a big prayer. And I think, uh, as James says again, we have not many times because we ask not. Mm. Robert, I know you also write, and maybe in part you just shared, how we can learn to handle what you call bad days. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, if you're going to have an extraordinary life, you've got to plan for some bad days, which could be bad seasons of life. Mm -hmm. And uh, Elijah certainly had that. He had it right after his victory on Mount Carmel. He was physically, emotionally, spiritually depleted. Uh, he fell into paranoia. One angry woman named Jezebel changed his whole perspective. And he had a bad season of life after that. And uh, you know, the fact is, we can't avoid bad days, but we can learn how to handle them. And I talk about that in the book, how to refresh yourself spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Robert, maybe a, another question or two in closing. I, I know there are people listening right now, and they hear you, and they're like, yes, I want this, I've worked so hard, and yet there's that quiet voice that says, no, not me. Mm. Not me. Can we speak to the lies of the enemy when he says, no, you, you're not one of God's beloved? Well, I think many times we feel that way because of... Uh mistakes we've made in the lie, in, in the past, and uh, sometimes those mistakes cause us to be sidelined for a while and go through a waiting time. But I mean, just think of the people God used in a powerful way in the Scriptures. Uh, Moses killed a man, was sentenced to 40 years in the backside of the desert, but God wasn't through with him. He had a next second act for his life that began when he was age 80 and became the great liberator of Israel. Or think about Rahab. She was a harlot, and yet she named in the ancestry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Or think about Paul. I mean, the Bible says by his own testimony, he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a murderer of Christians, and yet he found mercy and became the greatest uh, missionary that the world has ever known. And remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy 1, he said, and yet I was shown mercy um, because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And uh, he said, and God has given me that ministry to share with other people. He said, I'm exhibit A of God's ability to forgive people. And so if you think you're too big of a sinner, um, 
to, for God to use you, you're probably not as good of a sinner as you think you are. God <laughs> used much bigger sinners than you to accomplish his purpose. And the reason is this. Uh, it is in our weakness that God's powers That's made right. perfect. Right. If we were perfect saints, supernatural saints, God wouldn't get the glory. We would. But God wants the glory for himself, and so he uses imperfect vessels to accomplish his extraordinary purpose. Amen. Robert, last question, and then how can people obviously get a hold of your book? The question being, would you speak to those that may think, well, when we become followers of Jesus, we become successful, happier, healthier, versus, as I say on my program many times, Jesus didn't hang on a cross to make us good spiritual people. He hung on a cross to transform our lives. Well, that's right. That's exactly right. And when I talk about uh, the extraordinary life, God's seven secrets for success and significance, it's success and significance according to God's definition. You know, uh, my one of my predecessors here at First Baptist Dallas, Dr. George W. Truitt, defined success this way. Success is discovering God's will and doing it. And I think that's the way you have a significant life. Discover that unique purpose God has for you that is always centered around His glory and not yours. You know, the book Choosing the Extraordinary Life, it just came out this week, Frank, uh, but it's already doing great. It's available at all bookstores, and the easiest way to get it is at amazon.com. Robert, it is always a blessing to have you on the program. Thank you for all you do for God's kingdom and all you do at um, First Baptist Church in Dallas. And we hear you every afternoon, Pathway to Victory. Thank you for writing this book. Thank you for being a brother in Christ. Thanks so much for having me, Frank. You're so welcome. By the way, for all listeners, Robert has written a, a companion book, if you will. It's a, called The Elijah Map. You can go to either kkla.com or kprz.com right now to download your free copy. Again, this is, um, this is in, in addition to choosing the extraordinary life, and it's a free gift for listening to this wonderful radio station. So you can download a free copy right now of the Elijah Map. Just go to kkla.com or kprz.com. And again, Pastor Jeffers' book, brand new book, is entitled Choosing the Extraordinary Life. More of the Frank Sontag Show next. More cowbell. Welcome back to the Frank Sontag Show. For the next 30 minutes, we are going to invite your calls at 88852 Talks. And let me share a little bit about where, at least my intention, is that we go. There is a small church in Yorktown, Virginia. It's called Bethlehem Church. I never have heard of it before today. And they are in the news. It's a very small church, and they posted a Bible verse on an outdoor sign. And the next thing you know, some people are very upset. The local television station even went to the location and showed the verse, and they were inundated with complaints and 
people on their Facebook page and demanding that the verse be taken down. And so the verse is Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So I want to talk a little bit about that verse, about submission. Take your calls as well, 888-52-TALKS. And um, read some quotes from some people that were really upset about this verse being posted. So what do you think about that? And maybe you're one of many that would like to clarify how the world misunderstands that verse and tends to use Christianity as, um, well, you know, another area to blame. Those Christian men, right? They want their wives to submit to them. No equality in that marriage. So do you have any initial impressions about this story? I'll, I'll read more. Triple eight fifty two talks is the number to call. So th- this became a, a huge story in town. One resident said, quote, I'm very bothered that this is on the main road where anyone can see it. Other reader says it made me sad that it repels people because God's word is not meant to repel. And it literally was just the one scripture, 522. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. One woman wrote, God's word is his word. Instead of getting upset, read his words, study his words for understanding. Another woman wrote in, what, a church posting a verse from the Bible? What were they thinking, right? Triple eight fifty two talks. So what do you think of this? And maybe this is something that you've struggled with, and, and, and I want to share more on, well, what that verse represents, what Paul was talking about. I don't necessarily want to do a Bible study right now, but I even think some people in the church don't quite understand what Ephesians 5.22 means. I mean, what does the Bible really mean when it says, wives, submit to your husbands? Women like to be these days seen as capable, maybe independent. There are some that hear this and they're disturbed. What, 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 what does that mean, right? Some people talk to others at different churches and they say, hey, I need some clarification here. In, I'll be honest, in, in my sphere, uh, I, I think there are some, they, they've heard different opinions on it, different takes, what it really means. In the church, different churches, right? Or somehow it's not relevant to believers. So what about the submission of the wife to the husband? Ephesians 5.22. And, and maybe, I, I'm not here to, to invite women to call that maybe struggled in a marriage with a man that didn't fully understand what that meant, right? Used it for his own sinful ways. But I, I think it's, it's, it's an area that we can spend some time with. So I'm, I'm especially interested in hearing from women. How, how, do you, how do you address this particular verse in the Bible? 
888 talks are the numbers. Ivy in Arcadia. Ivy, you're on the Frank Sontag Show. Hi, Frank. Good afternoon. Hi, Ivy. Hi, yes. So um, I just heard the, the, the um, verse that you mentioned about. It was, it was posted outside a church, right? Correct. So um, I think how how people responded, uh, talking about the secular world, is something that we shouldn't be um, surprised about, because obviously um, this verse or anything in the Bible, the secular world won't be able to understand unless they have the, the, the Holy Spirit within them to give them that understanding of it. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand... Um, Sometimes it, that verse could be um, um, used incorrectly if the context isn't covered first. So uh, we just had a Bible study last night, and we were talking about how God is a God of um, peace and order. Mm-hmm. And it all comes back to creation, you know, the order of creation and, and that God made reason, men and women different but equal in their own ways, and yet we live in a correct. culture that says, look, uh-uh, man, woman. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, we live in a broken world, in a fallen world. Yeah. Ivy, I'm grateful for your call. Thank you for sharing. What about Ephesians 5.22? Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh-oh, don't go there, Frank. That's before... Right? The world focuses on wives. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Or the context or the next verse. I think even some of us in the church don't understand what this means. 888 talks. I'd love to hear from both men and women right now because this is, um, this is a, a, a verse, this is a piece of Scripture that Maybe, just maybe, there's one person listening right now. Here's the scenario. You're a woman, you've become a Christian, you get married to a man who's a man of God, and some of your friends who are not Christians are like, oh, Jennifer, what were you thinking? Now, now you've got to submit to, to Jim, and, and you get some pushback. Maybe you've lost some friends over this. Is that you? Is that something that you have experienced and maybe have struggled with this? Like, okay, um, yeah, I'm to submit to my husband and and some of your gals around you that are worldly say, boy, what happened to you? you used to be so strong and independent and and now you're, yeah, now 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 what are you? You're you're a Proverbs 31 woman. Where where where'd you go, right? Does, does that resonate with you? I'd, I'd love to hear your call as well. 888-52-TALKS are the numbers to call into the program. We have one line open. Tim in Huntington Beach. Tim, you're on the Frank Sontag Show. Oh, hi, Frank. How you doing, buddy? Tim, I'm well. Yes. Um, I've reviewed this scripture a couple of times and, and talked with friends about it, and some of them don't totally understand where I'm coming from, and they don't necessarily agree, but quite a few of them do. But the responsibility that that verse 
when taken in context with other verses, is ridiculous for a guy. And in other words, we are we are heads. Yes, it's a military term that is used to some extent when a man's supposed to be the head over his wife. But what that means is that now he's got the responsibility for her happiness. And heaven help the man who takes advantage of his wife in that situation, kind of like taking advantage of a child, because we're responsible now, just like you would be as a supervisor at work to subordinates. You're responsible to them. They come to you when they have an issue. And and it's... Um, I, I don't know. I, I, to some extent, I think that would be a, a good idea to put something like that, but it, I think maybe the church could have put, um, come to our study and learn more about it. Well, I don't. again, I don't know the reasoning by which the church put this particular Bible verse up. It sparked a huge debate, and obviously a conversation that's happening out here in California from Virginia. So I appreciate your call. I thank you for it. And yeah, there's some people saying there's a context, and we'll talk about the context as well. But what about you? Maybe you're a woman who, again, I, I just, maybe this is me, maybe this is my logic, but I think there are some women that struggle with this in relation to maybe your other girlfriends that aren't Christian. Like, what are you doing? This is a, a part of Scripture that's most often cited by non-believers that have issue with us. And yet, yeah, there is context. Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's about us submitting to one another in Christ. Chris in Carlsbad, you're on the Frank Sontag Show. Hi, Chris. Hi, Frank. Thank you. I don't think there's a wife alive who wouldn't love to submit to a husband who, as Scripture says, love your wife as Christ so loved the Church that he gave his life for us. There is no woman alive who wouldn't be glad to be under that kind of a husband's leadership. So I think it's provocative to put just that portion of the scripture up, because I do think it is misleading. But it can be provocative in a good way. People can call in and find out. And I agree with the male caller you had. The onus is on the man's head. So, and rightly so, because that's where the Lord put the responsibility. He's supposed to love us. We're supposed to obey them. Really easy to do when we follow the Lord. Well, that, that that's it, Chris. Thank you for your call. It's easy to do when we follow the Lord. But I think many of us, especially in marriage, we kind of forget at times, right? <laughs> right? It's It's... Marriage can be a challenge. The secular world says, oh no, you're, you're, you're about making me happy. You're there to fulfill me. Or there are some that believe you're my other half. Right? There's all, all sorts of ways in which people address marriage. And, and look, we as Christians... I'm not here to say somehow we really walk Scripture very well consistently. There are a number of marriages from people that profess faith in Christ and in divorce for all sorts of worldly reasons. 
So when you hear Ephesians 5.22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, what comes to mind in, in, in terms of the man and the, the responsibility of, of being a leader in your home? A little later in Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's not an easy thing to do either. Triple eight fifty two talks are the numbers to call into the program. I think what I'd like to do now is we've got basically a full board. We have one line open. Triple eight fifty two T A L K S. I want to give you all an opportunity to get your thoughts together. And on the other side, we'll take many of your calls on a church in Yorktown, Virginia, posting Ephesians five twenty two. The local television station got involved, and the next thing you know. Man, it's a brouhaha. Many people just irate, upset, and you know the worldly perspective. Yeah, right. Those those Christian men, they just want women to submit to them, and oh, why would I ever become a Christian? Your thoughts, your calls, your experiences next here on the Frank Sontag Show. Welcome back to the Frank Sontag Show. If you're just joining us, there is a small church in Yorktown, Virginia called Bethlehem Church, and they posted on a well, an outdoor sign, Ephesians 5.22, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The local television station got involved, and the next thing you know, the town was up in arms. Very upset about this. People started weighing in on the television station's Facebook page, and we read some of the comments. Again, Ephesians 5.22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, and yet there's context. There is directives about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So we're just inviting you to call the program. We've got some wide and varied thoughts and Let's talk to Valerie in Los Angeles. Valerie, you're on the Frank Sontag Show. Hi, Frank. Can you hear me? I can. Okay, good. Um, yeah, I was just I was thinking so much about this question as I was waiting to talk to you. But I, for some reason, I just remembered that I, when the first time I heard that verse was when I first got saved, and me and my husband got saved together, and I really, really didn't like it. But as I'm thinking about the way that I think now, it's been a little while that I've learned that it's more about, to me about reverence, like learning to reverence, your, have reverence for your marriage and having respect for your marriage and being submissive in that you're loyal to your husband in the way that you act, the way that you treat him and respect the way that he wants to lead your family, like, I, I just see it totally different than the way that I used to. And now that I have that reverence for my marriage, it's funny because, like, at work, I was think what I was going to say was that at work, I feel kind of lame sometimes. Like, people treat me like 
if it's lame to like kind of have that reverence where you care about whether your husband is would be there with you, what whatever you're doing or whatever the conversation is or what they're wanting to involve you in at work. And sometimes I feel lame, but I'm thinking that I don't really feel so embarrassed that I'm lame because I'd rather be lame now than how I thought before where I thought that that wasn't important where I see now that it is. Yeah, for sure. Valerie, thank you for your call. Uh, we have Veronica and then Susie. Veronica in Pomona, you're on the Frank Sontag Show. Hi, Frank. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So I have been married for 24 years, and I actually believed more in this verse when I was first married, when I was 22. Um, I saw myself as being more of the, like some, this other man said, um, like kind of in the childlike position, um, kind of less able to make decisions in my husband for some reason. Um, I allowed him to make the decisions and felt like God just made it that way, that I was somehow lesser than. But over the 24 years, I've realized that I actually um, am just as able as my husband to make decisions and um, and to think through things. Um, and the scriptures, I think in general, the arc of the scripture shows that the Lord sees um, holds men and women in equal esteem. Um, not women are not less able in any way to men. I so I have changed my view on the scripture. I've come to like it less um, because it's hard to understand. But I do love the word and re- and think that it is um, from God. So I know that I have to deal with it. But I think more what it means is that there is an order in the family, just like there's an order in the Godhead, mm-hmm. where the father is an authority over the son and so forth. So I think it's the order that the man is um, the head um, uh, over the family. Well, let me but, let me let me interrupt if I may. I, from okay. my understanding, I think you've spoken very clearly and quite well as to what this part of of Ephesians means. So. That being said, so why why do you like it less? I mean, you speak so clearly of order. You understand God's plan. You're both equal. You submit to each other. Why why do you say you like this verse less? Um, I think because of um, like the man who was on more recently who said it's as if a man um, needs to treat like treat the woman as a child or an employee. I think that the verse. Uh, somehow has that kind of feeling or connotation to it. Okay. So, um, ma- so making... yeah. So what you're saying is it, it's the way others respond to the verse, not necessarily the verse itself that you have resistance to. Yeah, I, I guess it is. It's it's the way that it's um, interpreted. Sure. And maybe the language of the verse. Sure. Sure. And and as you say, and as you know, there's context. And th- th- this particular small church in Yorktown. They just put up Ephesians 5.22. Maybe they just wanted to start a dialogue. I don't know. But thank you for sharing so powerfully, Veronica. Susie in Fullerton. Susie, you're on the Frank Sontag Show. Hi. Um, when I first got saved, I uh, didn't like the Scripture, but I was very strong-willed, and I still am, but I have toned down a bit, and throughout the years, I have been able to meditate more on this, and I realized that as I, uh, I want to say gave in, but as I um, 
was able to work through more of my relationship with Christ, um, I was able to release a lot of things, and it became less stressful um, as I uh, uh, gave, yeah, I gave more over to my husband. And I just really feel like that's the that's the way to be. I mean, it's we've been married 32 years, and it's you know it's been long, and it's been great, and it's been hard, and it's been fulfilling, and um, everything else that goes with that. Uh, but I do believe that if you can grasp the whole concept, not just that scripture alone, but everything that comes before and after it, mm-hmm. that um, it can be very rewarding. Yeah, and I will say this, Susie, thank you for your call. There are some men that are complete knuckleheads when it comes to this. I'm just going to be honest. There are some real doofs out there that they use this as an opportunity to dominate and, and, and not love the Lord, if you will, and love your wife the way Christ loved the church. So I get there's a little edge to this, okay? And yet I, I look to the way the world Baby, I'm leaving. I'm not happy with you anymore. You you just don't do it for me anymore. I mean, the alternative to God's word is absolute death. So let me grab another call or two. Uh, Chris in Los Angeles, dating a non-believer. Is that okay? You're really confused. Maybe we'll talk to you another time. I want you to pray about that because that's a conversation in and of itself. So I, I, you're welcome to email me as well. But let me talk to, uh, let's see, Angie in Torrance. You're on the Frank Sontag Show. Angie, we have a couple of minutes. They're all yours. Okay. Hi, Frank. I've spoken to you before. Um, that word submit actually means to support. It doesn't mean to become a slave, and your husband's your lord and master. Mm. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yeah, it doesn't mean that. People take that word out of context, and that's why they're all misconstrued about it. They twist it around. As you mentioned, those knuckleheads that want to dominate over their wives and mistreat them, and that's not how it's supposed to go. You're supposed to love your wife as your own body. You're not going to beat your own body. You're not going to talk to yourself like you're nothing. You're Angie, thank you for the call. I appreciate your comments. Let me read Ephesians 5.20 through. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Get it? Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 26, that he might sanctify her, have cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. And it goes on to talk about the importance of, it's, it's mutual. Again, 
submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the focus, is Jesus Christ. So I hope and pray this is beneficial to many of you. Obviously, if you have any questions, confusions, or comments, you can send me an email at franksontag at kkla.com or franksontag at kprz.com. This is the Frank Sontag Show.